This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. All right, thank you. Good morning. It's good to see everybody. God bless you. Like Matt said, I know there's a lot of choices, places you could be this morning, but you chose to be here, and I believe God will bless you and touch your heart. If you need a Bible, once you get your hand up, and our ushers would gladly get you one. Uh, go with me to the book of Isaiah 29, and then we'll head back to Matthew 15. Isaiah chapter 29. I don't know how many weeks we've been on this. I've thoroughly enjoyed it, and uh, this is the finale today. Just, just warning you here, this is not going to be easy today, I promise you. You're going to hear some things that can shake you up a little bit, I believe spiritually, but it's good. And so I'm going to give you the truth again today in, in deep measures, I promise you. You know, just some questions to ask you. Uh, what's your standard of right and wrong? In other words, who declares what's right and wrong in your life? Have you ever thought about this, what pleases God and what angers God? And if we're not careful, we become full-time Christians or we can even become a part-time Christian. And if, if I become a part-time Christian, lukewarm has become synonymous almost with being normal. And so we're going to dig into that just a little bit. Start with me here in, in uh, Isaiah 29, verse 13. Therefore the Lord said, Inasmuch as these people draw near me with their mouths, and they honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me. Now, an interesting statement right there that I almost wonder if God right here through the prophet Isaiah was describing what a lukewarm Christian would look like. He said, they honor me with their lips, but remove their hearts far from me. And so, as I read that and look at that, I have to understand, that's possible. He wouldn't have brought it up if it wasn't possible. So, uh, about a month ago, I was around a man in my church, or a man here in the church for about an hour, and he shared this with me, this verse. And it, it just, it literally jumped out when he began to share about it. And I, I came back to my office and I wrote it on a sheet of paper and I wrote down, study this out. Sometimes when the Lord puts scripture on your heart, I encourage you to do it. Write it down and then take time to dig in. And, and the man in the church, he said this to me, he said, Pastor, if you think about what he said, he didn't say they dishonor me with their lips. He said they actually honor me with their lips. But their heart was far from it. And you know, you, you, can, you can have that happen. I can come in here and I can say the right things, but my heart not be anywhere in this. And so this is what he gets at. And, and he digs in a little farther and he says, And their fear. The ones who honor me with their, their, their lips, their fear, their reverence, their worship toward me is taught by the commandment or the rules, the repetition of men. And so again, they've gotten off track. We've gotten where the things of men becoming more important than the things of God. And that can be religion. That can be certain traditions. 
But the Amplified says it this way. Their fear and reverence for me are, are, are a command of men learned by repetition without thought or meaning. And so our actions aren't anywhere nearing. We just go through the motions. Maybe that describes you this morning. Now, I want you to go to the book of Matthew, chapter 15. And as you're turning to Matthew 15, I'm going to get there in just a second. But this passage here is cross-referenced into the book of Ezekiel. I, I want you to read or listen to this. This is Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 31. Now, this is crossed from just where we left there in Isaiah 29. And it says, So they come to you as people do. They sit before you as my people, people of God. And they hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. Wow, it's, it's alarming to me. And, and when I read these, I, I really believe it's the times we live in. We, we honor him, he said, their hearts pursue him for their own gain. Now, that verse, it cross-references into the, the parable of the sower in Matthew 13, then again in Mark 4. Specifically, it says, they hear the word of God, but because of the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, it chokes out the word and it becomes unfruitful. So the gain we're looking at oftentimes is, again, we get so caught up in everyday life that we forget the true, the true meaning of this thing called life is God. Now, if you're not there, I'm, I'm going to Matthew chapter 15. And I will begin there in verse number 7. Hypocrites, pretenders. You know what a hypocrite is? It's someone that, that talks this but doesn't live it. And so here, if you'll note, this is the Lord Jesus, and he says, hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy about you saying? So what Jesus is talking about here is exactly what Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 29, 13. And Jesus right here was telling me and you, Isaiah was right what he prophesied. Verse 8. These people draw near me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So he tells us here, we can say the right thing. We can play games with Jesus, but my heart not be here. Now, if we were all truthful in this matter, every one of us, including me, we would realize this can define me. I can come in here. I can honor Jesus with my lips, but my heart not be here at all. So, literally what Jesus is telling us, we just go through the motions. How many have ever gone just through the motions on a Sunday morning? I've done it. And 
when I look at what he's saying, he's, he's to a degree is telling us, wake up. Verse 9, and in vain, and remember the word vain means useless. And in vain they worship me. They uselessly worship me. We say the right things, but our hearts aren't anywhere to be found. And he says, and they teach as doctrines the commandments of men. Their worship is an act. They don't mean it. And so we live by the rules of mankind. And when that begins to happen, we can act religious. We can act holy. And so is my faith priority? Here's a great question for you today. What have you put above God? Have you put your job above God? Have you put your hobbies above God? Have you put your time above God? Have you even put family time above God? And, and literally what he's saying here is my, my actions and my ha- behaviors don't line up. And so you know as well as I do, it's very easy to put on Christian, act holy, act better than thou, even all that stuff. And so, I mean, I can come in here and I can tell you just, just how special I am with the things of God. We boast on things like, well, you know how many Bibles I have? I've got a King James. I've got a new King James. I've got an Amplified. I've got a new international version. I've got a new American standard. I've got a message. I've got the tree of life. I've got a Thompson Chain reference Bible. I've got all the Jewish commentaries. And we act like that qualifies me to be spiritual. Well, I wear a cross around my neck. I have Jesus t-shirts. I got a bumper sticker that says I'm part of the God Squad. How about this? I observe the Jewish holidays. So again, we say things like that to think that it qualifies us as being religious or holy or spiritual. But right here he says, you honor me with your lips, but where's your heart at? Where's our heart at today? Go with me to the book of of 2 Timothy, chapter number 4. 2 Timothy, chapter 4. Now, as we get here to 2 Timothy, chapter 4, this will be the Apostle Paul talking to a pastor named Timothy. And so when he's addressing Timothy... He's literally telling Timothy, this is what needs to be priority in the church you pastor. So as I read that, think about that in this sense right here. This would be as if the Apostle Paul was saying to me, he said, tell the people of Faith Christian the truth here this morning, okay? Now I'm just telling you, some of this is going to get really rugged, all right? And my flesh jumps when I have to do this. I, I can play tug of war with God and say, Lord, I don't, I don't want to do that. I, I, I would rather give them cinnamon rolls and peach cobbler. And the Lord says, no, today they get broccoli and asparagus, okay? So, so get ready. This isn't easy on my flesh, I promise you. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. I charge you there before God and the Lord Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. 
Now, what he's telling us here to start with, he said, there's an urgency. There's an intensity here today. That there's going to be a day that every one of us in this room are going to stand by before God. Whether alive or you've ever already died, we're going to stand before God. He's the great judge. He has the final say-so. Verse 2, preach the word. Preach the word. Well, when I look at that, you have the thought, well, what else are we supposed to preach at church? But there's a huge emphasis on here that Paul said, preach the word. And so, we're going to preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. That last word teaching there means with careful instruction. And so when he says convince, rebuke, he's saying correct them, rebuke them, and encourage them. The message says challenge them, warn them, and urge them. And so at times, I'm just going to tell you, there's going to be some rebuking. There's going to be some convicting and some disciplining going on. And here's what I believe personally begins to happen. Many times in our life as believers, when we feel discouragement or frustration, I believe this, the root symptom of that very easily can be because you have heard the Word of God, you have heard what the Bible says, even in difficult things called sin, but when I choose not to obey and I don't heed the Word of God, then something begins to frustrate me and discourage me on the inside. It's because a lot of times... I've gotten away from the Word of God. And so right here, he specifically says to him, convince, rebuke, and exhort. Now watch this in verse 3. For the time will come when they, the people of the church, will not endure or put up with sound doctrine. So if we're not putting up with sound doctrine... What are we listening to? Well, it would be unsound doctrine. Woo, I'm telling you guys, this is, this is where we're at in the body of Christ right now. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth, and be turned aside to the fables of mankind. So he's warning here, they won't listen to sound, to wholesome teaching. So the question off of this is, do you resist or do you reject the truth? Would you rather hear a bunch of man-made forms of religion, or do you want to hear the Word of God? Because I believe this truthfully, only the Word of God can set us free. But there's a strong warning to the body of Christ here. That says, the time is coming where there will not be sound doctrine. Verse 5. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of evangelists, and fulfill your ministry. So, when we hear the word of God, or the truth, do I only receive the things in my life that fit my lifestyle? Is that all I want to hear? Or do I really want to hear the word of truth? Do I want to hear the word of God? 
Is my faith still priority or have gotten away from the things of God? See, what begins to happen here? If I don't hear the word of God, I don't live much differently than people who never hear the word of God. I become very stale. And we've got to stay with the word of God. Now, I want you to turn with me to the book of Revelations chapter 3. I'm just going to prepare you here. It's going to get really interesting in here in a good way, I believe. When you get here, you'll find out that these are all red-letter words. And so, again, this, this passage is of Jesus. He's, he's the one talking. So if we started in Revelations 2 and Revelations 3, if you were to go through there, you would see the Lord Jesus. He addresses seven different churches. All seven of those churches, he corrects, and he corrects them hard. Six of the seven, however, he has something positive to say to six of the seven. The only one of them that he does not have anything of positive to say to is the seventh one. That's the one we're going to look at today because I personally believe it's, it's very similar to the times we're living in right now. So we begin in the seventh church in Revelations 3 verse 14. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write. Now know what he said to the church. So he's talking to a bunch of so-called believers The city of Laodicea was a very wealthy city. It had about everything that you could desire. I believe they had great entertainment. I believe they had great restaurants probably. But to understand the word Laodicea, the word Leo, the L-A-O, it meant common people. The Dicea or Dicea, it literally meant The opinions of people. So when you look at the city of Laodicea, they lived by the opinions of common people. Something begins to happen when I live by the opinions of common people. This may be a revelation to you. But just because the majority of people believe one way or another, that doesn't make it right. And what begins to happen in Laodicea is very similar to the United States of America. We have this thought, just because people can make laws or rules or regulations, it's got to be right. I've got to always go back, and my first thing is, what does the Word of God say? What does God's Word say? So when I start living by the opinions of humanity... You've now met Laodicea. That's why I believe to a degree it's the times we're living in right now. Verse number 14, the end of it. These things says the amen. The amen talks about 2 Corinthians 1.20 where it says, All the promises of God through Christ Jesus are yea and amen, or are yea and so be it. That's what amen means, so be it. So he deals immediately with the promises of God. Then he says, the faithful and true witness and the beginning of the creation of God. 
Every bit of that funnels to the Lord Jesus. Everything that I just read, it points to Jesus. Now this is where it begins to get interesting. Verse 15. I know your works. I know your works. Note there, he didn't say, I know how spiritual or holy you think you are. I know that you wear a cross around your neck. No, he said, I know your works. Now, all the different definitions say your deeds, your actions, your behaviors, your priorities, inside and out. You claim to know me, but I don't see it in your lifestyle or your behaviors. The message says, I find little to my liking. I know your works. Now, again, think about what he's saying here. He's talking to the church. He's talking to me and you. I know your works. So just briefly here, think about that Jesus is saying to you personally, I know your works. What would that be? What do your works look like? What do your works reveal? I know your works, and they are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. You know what he just said? I wish you were this way or this way. So when he talks about cold, he's talking about a cold heart. A cold-hearted person would be one who would say, I don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe in the Word of God. I don't want to hear it. I don't want nothing to do with it. That person would be, no, that is cold-hearted. That's it. A hot-hearted would just be the opposite. It would be someone that says, Lord Jesus, I'm all in. I pursue you, I live for you, and it's all about you. But he says here, you're neither cold nor you're hot. Verse 16. So then because you are lukewarm, The word lukewarm here, it means you're stale, you're stagnant. The word lukewarm here, it literally has the meaning of being a fence straddler. That when you're around the cold hearted, you blend in with them. You act just like them, but when you're around the hot hearted, you blend in with them. And so literally the Lord Jesus is calling us lukewarm and he's saying this to a degree. You're a saint on Sunday, but you're a sinner on Monday. When you're around the Christians, you know how to talk in Christianese. But when you're around the world, you act just like the world. And it's interesting, the Lord Jesus said, don't blend in with them. He actually said, come out from among them and don't be like them. Thank you. I warned you, okay? Lukewarm. Because you are lukewarm. Neither cold nor hot. I will vomit you out of my mouth. Alarming. Whoa. This is the Lord Jesus. Now, I want to highlight something again. This was written to the church. 
This was written to so-called people who were believers. And he said, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And so the literal Greek word for vomit here is I will spit you out or I will spew you out. And so literally the Lord Jesus is telling these church-going folks, I can't stomach you. Let me give you my paraphrased edition. You make me want to hurl. And when I read this, I'm thinking, wait, this is the Lord Jesus. He's talking to the people of the church. And when you think of lukewarm, it's to this degree. These are people that think they're they're doing God a favor by showing up to church. Lord, when it's convenient, I'll come. If I can squeeze you into my schedule. These are people who, to a degree, will call on the name of the Lord, but they only call on God when they need something. And he said, I know your works. And so I look there and I think, do I give? Do I pray? Do I serve? Those are all works. And guess what Jesus said? I know your works. I know where your true heart is. And it was so bad, he said, I want to vomit you out. So as I read this, I look in my own life and I begin to think, I don't want to be lukewarm. I don't want to be someone that blends in or blends out. Do you know the Lord called us to be the salt of the earth? To be the city that's set on a hill? See, here's the concern. How many people within our churches are lukewarm but don't even know it? How could that be? Because of a thing called religion traditions. People understand religion. The appearance In 2 Timothy 3, the Apostle Paul said, they take on the form of Christian, but the power's denied. They take on a form of Christianese. I know what to say. I know how to behave. I know how to look holy. But I deny the very power that can change me. The second area that's a great concern is how many people in your church are lukewarm and they know it, but it doesn't bother them. I don't know if you've ever seen a a glimpse of hell. I don't know if the Lord's ever showed you a glimpse of hell. I've had dreams of hell. It's not pleasant. It isn't pleasant at all. And when the Lord said, I will throw you up, I will vomit you. If we go back into the book of Matthew, the Lord Jesus said, In the last days, many will say unto me, Lord, Lord. And he said, I never knew you. I never knew you. Now watch how that's going to come into play here in just a second. Verse 17. 
Because you say, listen to this, I am rich and I have become wealthy and I have need of nothing. So right here, we view wealth as our our protector. Wealth will protect. You know what? If I got money, it cures everything. But isn't it interesting, Jesus said to the rich young ruler, he said, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter. And the Lord Jesus is the one who said, you can gain the whole world and lose your soul. And so when we look at this here and we say, because I have riches, I have nothing, there would be ones in this room that say, I don't have riches. Well, the truth of the matter is you do too. Do you know in the United States of America, The majority of us in this room don't have just a car. We have multiple vehicles. You know, only 5% of the people in the world have a vehicle. If you have a vehicle in the eyes of the rest of the people, you're wealthy. Is there anybody in this room today that doesn't have a cell phone? Is there anybody? There's There's a young guy back there. I see you. You will before long, buddy. You're young. It'll catch up to you. Why do I say that? How many people in the world may not even have a meal today, let alone a cell phone? You know, it's interesting when people come into the office and they say they need money and they have a brand new cell phone. Their fingernails are perfect with brand new, fresh fingernail polish on. How do you know that, Pastor? Because I got eyes and I look. And so again, when he says this, we are so blessed as an Americans. And he said, because you have need of nothing. And so what this means, that our faith is now gone, because I don't have to trust or believe God for anything, because I got everything I need. Woo. This is strong. I realize this. He goes on to say, you are wretched. You know what the word wretched means? The very next word. You are miserable spiritually. You are blind and poor and naked spiritually. You are oblivious spiritually. Verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. Now, it's interesting right here. The Lord Jesus says that you buy from me, him, the gold that is refined. You know what the refiner's fire is? Is when I go before God and I get under such hot conditions that it brings all the dross or the scum to the top and he rakes it off and he makes the gold perfect. And that's what he's saying. And that you become rich, rich spiritually. And the next thing he says, and white garments that you may be clothed. You know why he wants to put white garments on us? Because white garments have to do with our behaviors. And because of our behaviors and our lifestyles, our garments are stained. We got junk all over them. But he said, come on back, come back with me and I want to put a new garment on you. And he goes on to say this. That the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed You know what's our shame as a result of? Sin. And he said, that's never my goal to reveal it. 
and anoint your eyes with eye salve, and you may see. You know what he's telling us there? I want to change the way you see things. I want to give you the Holy Spirit where you begin to see life spiritually again. Now, everything he said was written to a complacent church. But he doesn't end there. Verse 19. And as many as I love, I rebuke. I tell them their faults and I convict them. He said, as many as I rebuke and I chasten. The word chasten there means to reprove or to discipline. It means to guide and instruct. Many times when we look at that, we've looked at that as a negative. God never intended it for it to be a negative. Why did he not content, intend for it to be a negative? Well, look at the goal there after he rebukes and chastens. Therefore, be zealous or eager and repent. God is wanting our hearts back. And he's saying repent and don't view repentance as a negative. Review that as a positive because when I repent... I come back in right standing with God. And I say, oh, Father God, I can enjoy your presence again. Now I'm going to end in verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. And I will dine with him. And he with me. When I look at this here, the word... There he knocks at the door. It was addressed to a complacent church. But he says, I want to dine with you. You know what dining with us means? He wants to have fellowship with us. He wants us to spend time with him. But the choice was right here. He said, he stands at the door and knocks. You know what that tells me? He won't kick in the door and come uninvited. Something happens when we open the door and respond to him and say, Lord Jesus, come into my life or come back into my life. Now here's a bizarre twist on this story right here. Remember who this was written to. It was written to a church at Laodicea, who so was written to a church of believers. A church. Jesus is on the outside of the church knocking, asking if he can come back in. You know what that tells me? The church of Laodicea? They were still having church, but they had booted Jesus out. And I wonder how many churches in America, we have done that. We have done that as a corporate church or individually that we're saying, no, we're going to live by the opinions or the doctrines of men, and Jesus, we're kicking you out. So in reading that, why do we have church if Jesus isn't in the church? He's the one who created the church. And so I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you're lukewarm. Maybe you need to give your heart to Jesus. Maybe you need to give your heart back to Jesus. Maybe you need to be one that says, Lord, I, I need to repent. I'm so lukewarm. 
I mean, when I'm around the world, I can act just like the world. And when I'm around the Christians, I act like, I don't know about you, but you talking about convicting me. And I have the graphic picture of, Lord, I don't want to be hurled out. I don't want you to spit me out. And again, I will tell you this, man, my flesh cringes at having to do this. I don't like doing this. But again, the Lord said, you preach the word. You tell them the truth. That every one of us in this room are going to stand before God. And I sense the Lord saying, I want to raise the bar. I want to raise the standard. I'm not looking for a lukewarm church. I'm not coming back for a lukewarm church. I'm coming back for people that are, are vigorous in their worship. They're passionate. That it isn't just lip service. That we come in and, and, and sing three songs and bless the Lord and raise our hands. And then we go out and our deeds don't reflect anything of God in my life. We ought to be noticed as different in the world. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.